Welcome to the Directors UK podcast. This episode follows an insightful and exhilarating conversation between two directors. Maggie Gyllenhaal discusses her debut feature, The Lost Daughter, with Amara Sante. In this fascinating conversation, Maggie spoke to Amara about how she approached her source material, her process of working with actors, and about the sisterhood of directing. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Hello, everybody. I am Emma Asante. Um, I am a black woman uh, with shoulder length hair, which is not mine. Um, I am really happy um, and really excited, actually, to welcome Maggie Gyllenhaal here today to talk about her directorial debut. I'm going to hand it over to her because I know for accessibility, we have to do a description and maybe our pronouns. I'm she and her. I'll hand over to Maggie and then I'll, I'll jump back in with the interview. Okay, so for for a description, I'm also she and her. I'm a white woman with um, quite short brown hair uh, and a a red blouse. Um, Maggie, thank you so much for taking the time. We know how busy your schedule is and we all know what it's it's like at this point. Um, So thank you so much for taking the time to be here. I loved the film. I saw it uh, just the weekend that's gone by. I didn't know what to expect, to be honest with you, and I absolutely adored it. I think just to begin, I'd love to read a quote from Elena Ferrente, who is um, the author of the book that this book is, uh, this film is based on. Um, and there's something just so beautiful about the, about the quote that I think it's quite long, but I think it frames, it's going to frame, frame our conversation brilliantly. So um, to The Guardian, she said, Uh, Another woman has found in that text good reason to test her creative capacities. Gyllenhaal has decided, that is, to give cinematic form, not to my experience of the world, but to hers, starting from The Lost Daughter. It's important for me, for her, for all women, that her work be hers and turn out well. Mine already exists with its strengths and defects. In the great warehouse of the arts, set up mainly by men, women have for a relatively short time been seeking the means and opportunities to give a form of their own to what they have learned from life. So I don't want to say you have to stay inside the cage that I've constructed. We've been inside the male cage for too long and now that cage is collapsing. A woman artist has to be absolutely autonomous. Her search shouldn't, in, uh, shouldn't encounter obstacles, especially when it's inspired by the work, by the thought of other women. And I just thought that that was such a beautiful quote and such a beautiful sentiment for you to be um, uh, standing on the platform, if you like, of, 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 of something that somebody else has started and to make it your own in the incredible way that you, you have. It's such a visceral piece. It's such an intimate piece. It's, it's a vast piece in, in so many ways. And so I really want to start from the beginning with you. Why this book and why your directorial debut now? Um, well, I think those are two, two separate questions. Yeah. You know? So I think I, I've done a lot of thinking about why it took me so long to... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cause I'm 44, I've had a whole career as an actress, um, why it took me so long to, to realize that, um, you know, something I think is really true, which is that really I'm a director. Um, I, I think it's a better job for me. 
I think looking back on it now, I, I was always sort of bumping up against the edges of what was open to me as an actress. Um, and then, you know, and we can get into this too, but like in response to that, I think I, I really also tried to create a set where I didn't have closed boundaries on my actors, where, mm-hmm. where a set where I, I truly was interested in the ideas of my actors. I found as an actress, there are very few directors who are interested in, in, in actors with ideas. And, mm-hmm. and I also think, I, you know, I, what drew me to acting was this opportunity to, well, was, well, I guess an opportunity to be really honest. You know, I, I, I think without even knowing it, I wasn't seeing very many portrayals of women on the screen especially when I was younger, um, that felt really like me, you know, at first Mm -hmm. I I was really young as an actress. I I tried to fit myself into a fantasy of what I was expected to be. I mean, I did. And, and I, I see, actually, I just saw a clip of, um, secretary and some, you know, career retrospective thing. That's And I thought, I thought it's interesting to watch me there because I'm both struggling to fit myself into the box that I think I'm supposed to be in. And I'm like, fuck this box. I'm both, you know, which is, I I think a lot of of people when they're 23 feel like that. Um, And I did too, but I, I think I think, though, that when I was that age, that if you loved storytelling, if you loved films, if you had ideas about, you know, women in the world, um, that, that, that probably the easiest way to get them onto the screen um, was, was as an actress and a thinking actress. And there were definitely models of, of women who, who were that. There were very, very few models of women who were directing. So I, I had access to Jane Campion. I remember being 15 or something and seeing the piano and I was totally blown away uh, and not in an intellectual way. I was blown away in like a kind of unconscious, totally visceral way. Like, I don't know what this language is. Like Ferrante saying, we... I think women, when we're honest with ourselves, do make movies differently than men. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and something about the way she was using what is, I mean, really primarily a male-created cinematic language, like got into something about my experience as a woman I had never seen before. So I think, okay, I saw her. I didn't know Agnes Varda. I didn't know Lucretia Martel. I didn't know, you know, the, the Claire Denis. Mm-hmm. Until mm-hmm. months later. And so mm-hmm. I think I just went, I'm an actress. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do what I feel I'm here to do through acting. And then, you know, I think I just, I remember, um, I read this thing that Meryl Streep said, or who knows if she really did, but I t- really took it to heart, uh, where she said, um, if you as an actress, as an actor on a set, if you need an idea, if you need something artistically, mm-hmm. ask for it with a spoonful of sugar. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, um, and I think it's good advice. And I took the advice and I, I did that. Uh, but it's a lot of work. It's a lot of extra work to know, okay, I need this thing in order to make this scene work. And it's a lot more acting. It's like acting on top of acting because you have to be someone else to try and get what you need. 
and you have to do it perfectly. And maybe yes. especially as a woman, you have to be a little mm-hmm. bit and very kind and self-deprecating mm-hmm. or whatever. And I was got to be like a master at that in order Where to Whereas the guy you. just says it. Yeah. Or a director certainly yeah. could, you know, create a set. Well, yes. I, I, anyway, so I also went then was when I was a producer on The Deuce, very collaborative group of people, really interesting yeah. Um, but still, I remember I would see early cuts of episodes and I would write like four paragraph long essays as to why, why you can't cut the orgasm, because that's what <laughs> makes us seem feminist. And, but again, like gentle, funny, just yeah. perfect. And maybe you get 20% of what you've asked for. Yeah. And I, yeah. Think, I think at a certain point, I just got tired of it. Mm-hmm. I was like, I just, I, I. I want a hundred percent of what I'm thinking about to mm-hmm. end on screen. And I want to create a space where the people who are collaborating with me don't need to bother with a spoonful of sugar. You know? No. no. And I think there is a weird, you know, in a not a weird, but there is a link between, in a way, between why now and why this book, because everything you've just said there tells me why this book why this book to be your directorial debut of, of, of all the things that are out there. Yeah. This book kind of in its own way, it's not telling a story about a director, you know, who's, who's, who's finding her space in the world of directors, but it, 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 it does speak about obviously about who we are when womanhood meet, meets other things and what the facets of womanhood mean to each of us as women individually and I think that that's, and, and as you talk about that as a director, there are so many things that I recognize, so many things that I get having been a child actor who just did as I was told, because right. you have the authority, you know, as a, of an adult telling you what to do on top. So, yeah. but then also there are so many things that, and I, and I love this space that we're coming into at the moment where we're finding the words to articulate our experiences that we previously couldn't quite articulate that the, the words didn't really we couldn't put the words together in a way to, to talk about an experience that actually was a common experience well that is that is the thing that drew me to this book you know mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. much of Ferrante's writing was like she was talking about things uh clearly intelligently compassionately yeah um, that, that I had never heard expressed before Yes, about being a mother, but also just in general about being a woman in the world, being a lover, being a thinker, being an artist. Um, and I, 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 some of them, I didn't even know I felt, mm-hmm. you know, because we've made this agreement not to talk about these things. And it gets so entrenched that I think we agree also not even to think about them. But yes. of course, that doesn't work. You still have the feelings. You still have the need. You still. And so. I think, I mean, I don't know how, how you feel, but I, I felt like I would see very interesting films with brilliant actors in them um, that, that got something right about my experience, but really just a piece of it and kind of like the middle piece. And then all the strange stuff on the outsides, on the outskirts, Mm -hmm. I never saw represented. And it, it made me start to wonder like, is there something wrong with me? Like I've got all these other feelings too, you know, and needs and desires and questions. And I'm never seeing it reflected back at me. Yeah. Yeah. I did have, I did have a, 
I mean, I think there's something inherently dramatic about telling the truth. And, and in particular about telling the truth about something that's, that's taboo that, you know, I mean, even if I were like. You're kind of doing now in many ways, you know, even, even though we're in the space where uh, those of us as women who are directing are finding more space to talk about it. I think that there's something really new and unique in not just what you're saying, but the, but the way you're saying the fact that you are articulating the experiences of many women who haven't necessarily even acted um, and then decided to go into directing, but even just as a even just as a director, I think um, you are you are you are the chief of your of your domain, um, and you we all want. I think you know as a, as a, again as a child actor, I want to create a really open, um, collaborative space. But stepping into a space that is both collaborative, but where you are the person who is leading in the vision. Yeah. I, um, is a is a is a is interesting. I, I do remember the first time I, I, I completed my first shot, and I was so elated that I yeah. just got through my first shot, and then realised I had the entire day to go through. And I, I remember just everybody looking at me, and I said to my my AD, "Why are they all looking at me?" And he said, "Because they want to know what to do, where to go next. <laughs> you know, what are we moving on to next?" And so stepping into that space as leader as well as collaborative individual I think is is an interesting um space for women that haven't been used to that 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 being given those um reins in many ways well you know I I was asked like this question I didn't actually get a chance to answer it felt like it was like 1975 or something someone was like can we have it all you know and you're like what (laughs) (laughs) can we have it all can we be wives and mothers and professional people. And I was like, uh, I don't even know how to answer this. It's such an old paradigm, but, but, but I, I do think that that thing uh, that you're describing, I also was elated when I finished my first shot or, um, that first day, just absolutely elated. But one ironically, maybe or not, I mean, one of the things that prepared me so well for being a leader, was being a mother. Oh, Interesting. I've been a mother for 15 years. Yeah, that's really, that's really, that, and that makes sense, of course. That really makes sense. Of course, you can be a leader without being a mother. And we've seen leaders without, who are not mothers for, for hundreds and thousands, you know, forever. But, but. I, I think it's interesting, this kind of, I mean, I, I believe, as you can see from my film, that that parenting will bring you to your knees. It's, it's a job that's designed to school you and grow you, but like for right. real and right. growing hurts. And, and I believe growing real growth can be terrifying and include despair and anxiety as well as the ecstasy of opening up. But all of those things that I went through, you know, for yeah. well, years have made me so much stronger and so much more loving and so much more compelling, yeah. you know, about the ways in which people are deeply flawed and imperfect, <laughs> including myself, you know. But that's the wonderful thing. I mean, I think um, what I am is a stepmother and I became a stepmother many years ago and I got to a space fairly quickly where what you're talking about in terms of being brought to your knees and what the film expresses so brilliantly in so many ways is I had to get to a point really fast in understanding 
this is this is about my journey as much as anything else. It's about what lessons this this beautiful child who is um you know helping me with my challenge of being a stepmother what 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 the lessons were that she was bringing me and so and so it sort of brings me to in a way the challenges of the book because I'm I'm fascinated in all of what you describe everything you describe and I talk about us finding the language for um experiences that sometimes we previously couldn't find the language for what were some of the challenges in um translating so much of what we get from the book into what we see on screen but also what were some of the joys and they they may be the same thing I don't know the challenges and the joys but what 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 were some of those um well I would say the biggest challenge the thing that I found the most daunting about it I'll say two things. One was um, this age difference, just on a very logistical level. Yeah. You know, yeah. that it's not like Philomena, for example, which was beautifully done, right? Where you have a much, much younger woman, she's yes. 15 or 16 or something. Yeah. And then Judy Dench, who's in her 70s at the time, like that's, that's, you could actually maybe believe when you watch that movie that those are the same person. Right. Right. But unless you're four years old, and this movie is not meant for four year olds. No one ever going to believe, for example, that Jesse Buckley and Olivia Coleman are the same person. Like right. that's ridiculous. So now I've come, I, you know, it took me a long time when I wrote the adaptation. I was like, I, I decided I'm not going to worry about the logistics of this. I'm going to write it as if I could easily, um, uh, you know, stretch an actress's age, you know, like magic. I'm not, I'm not going to worry about that. Like, the, like a novel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then when it came down to it, I, what I really came to, I won't take you through all my thinking on it, but you know, well, I thought it's goofy to age an actress, one actress. It's like lying to the audience and they see it and they're pissed off. I think sometimes I guess it can kind of work if you do it, acknowledging mm-hmm. that there's makeup all over someone's face. But to me, my, my audience is, is intelligent and adult. And so I, I know, I, I guess I decided I want to hire two formidable, phenomenal actresses and not, um, not put any restraint on them to imitate each other at all, or to look like each other at all, because really we all know they're different people. So really it's about making like a kind of poetic agreement with the audience where we say, look, we're not going to fake anything with you. We're not going to put contact lenses in people's eyes. We're not going to have an eye twitch or a neck tattoo or something. We're going to, we're, we're going to, we're going to just agree for the purposes of telling our story for two hours, that these two actresses are the same person, right. you know? Right. And, and so once I came to that, I felt, I felt free, but that was a, that was a challenge. I was a little bit concerned about that. Um, I guess I also felt to really, a real responsibility. Um, actually, I read this Rachel Cusk essay. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, no, it's in her novel. What, her last novel in the trilogy of um, novels. I think it's called Kudos. Mm-hmm. And um, she's she's writing about a, a writer who ends up at lunch with her translator, who's translating her into another language. We don't know what language. And the translator says something like. I felt that something had been expressed that was so precious that it was like with great, it was, it was almost like an emergency 
mm-hmm. and get it into the other language. It was, it was, it was with great caution and care that you're kind of birthing something into another language. So I mm-hmm. felt a responsibility to get the truth that had moved me so much. Right. Exciting. I liked that. And plus I put a bunch of things in that aren't in the book at all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and cool. I thought were interesting, but, and then the pleasure was, you know, I've been an actress for so long and any kind of rewriting so much of the work anyway happens so fast and so communally. And like I said, how do you, how do you get what you need quickly, quickly? We have no time. And then just hold it so you can express yourself. And writing, I found so, so pleasurable because it was quiet and it was, I had as much space as I needed and I could Mm -hmm. knock things around in my head and actually did this writer's panel with a few other really interesting writers. And some of them were saying that they're just always writing that they're, that they're um, something's not working. They just throw an alien in and now the alien, <laughs> with, you know, that they're just always kind of trying to keep it moving. And I I'm the opposite. I, right. I think, and I take my time and I try to create space and I see what floats up and, I don't actually sit down to write until I'm pretty clear uh, about what's going to come out. Wow. And and so what, you know, two things really, you, what, what you're talking about, when you talk about not trying to squeeze Jesse and Olivia into boxes, it's really interesting how that evolves exactly the way you wanted it to actually, because there's more authenticity. There is something that is so authentic about the fact that they're not pretending to be other than they are, which is, which is really wonderful. And then um, the, the second thing, you know, I had a question which was for a bit later down the line, but I think it makes sense now, which is your voice as a, as a director, as a storyteller, as a filmmaker is so uh, distinctive. It's so, it's so clear and distinctive and complicated all at the same time. And my, my question was, was going to be, you know, how, how how have you developed that? How did you come to that as you were finding yourself as this filmmaker that we now know? And when you talk about the space, for me, that that space is some is is some of that distinctive voice that nothing is hurried, nothing, you know, everything takes the time that it takes. Is that's part of your voice? And so, I I guess the question is when you stepped onto set, when you finished development and you stepped into prep, do you leave the writer behind? And that voice is still developing as a storyteller, as a filmmaker. Does the writer come with you? Do you, do you make the decision? Do you make any decisions against the writer's will? If that makes sense, you as the writer, I mean, you know, are there things that once you become the director and you realize, okay, now these are the real parameters that I'm working with now on this set in Greece, on this island, you know, or, or is it just, is one thing just a continuation, a continue, you want to continue them, I guess I'm asking. I, I think it's probably more the second way. Um, mm-hmm. I tried to create a script that would do two things. I, I'm mm-hmm. not even sure I was conscious of this at the time, but I see it now. I, well, one thing I was conscious of, I wanted to create a script that was the kind of script I'd like to receive as an actress where, um, where, where, where and and also to watch like I don't like movies where they tell you in the scene what the scene is about yes. I I think ideally the scene is about something that's only art 
articulatable in the vibration of this person's needs next to this person's needs. And these are the circumstances. And, and so I don't like when things become very literal, you know, for instance, I love Lucretia Martel. I don't know if you know her work Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. or, or or Matteo Garone, for example, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I'm so inspired by, or Carol Churchill as a playwright. These are, these are people who uh, never say this is what it's about. You know, it's, it's never subtext, right? Yes. What it's about is, is created by the vibrating of different people's needs and the circumstances of the story. Um, And so that meant that key elements of the storytelling have to happen in the directing. Yeah. So what I had to do is create a really strong groundwork for myself as a director structurally that I could really rely on. Uh, and then, and then also I think, well, hire brilliant actors and get involved yeah. with them on set and see how they, I mean, ideally a good script the needs, the event, the, mm-hmm. the are clear in the script and the mm-hmm. expression, how it is expressed can be any way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The script doesn't totally work. Then it's mm-hmm. the job of an actor. Oh, you have to cry here or you have mm-hmm. to be scared and let everyone know you're scared. Otherwise we won't know they're scary or, you know, that's if a script doesn't work, then the onus is on you as an actor to do the storytelling. If the script is strong and supports you you're free in terms of expression so that's um, interesting so so I think it was like a continuum um in the editing process like so barely almost nothing changed on set script wise um and it was very reliable when there was a weakness in the script or a vagueness in the script it totally emerged even in pre-production. Like I had written this little in the movie, it's one second because we clarified it where she's walking and she's eating a um, sandwich, a Greek sandwich. And she's Mm -hmm. in that pink dress and she walks up to the dance and this little girl runs by and says, mama, and she turns her head, but it's like a sort of more like David Lynch kind of trippy. um, It was like a carnival and the streets. It was vague. And when we, got to prepping it, everyone was like, what do you mean? And I was like, <laughs> I don't know. And so let's clarify. And if we can clarify, we don't have to waste time. We had no time. We had no money. You yeah, know, so, right, right, right. Uh, but in the editing, in the editing, the script, uh, there were sections that I, I little, yeah, there were little sections I took out, but mostly the structure also stayed the same. But that's so interesting because, again, for later on down the line, because I act like we've got two days to have this conversation and we haven't. But but later on down the line, the question, the one thing I was going to put to you is that so many of us as directors, and I, I always like to say us, um, to include myself, not always, but at times. And it's for me more so when I haven't written the script, but when I'm directing somebody else's, I'm afraid of moving away from my road moving right. away from my blueprint and so that balance between collaboration and allowing actors the kind of space that we feel in the we feel in the characters because they don't feel like actors they feel like characters um versus 
um, holding on to the, the direction that you're, you're overall going in, the overall sentiment of the moments um, that you want to convey without a, an overt, you know, I can't think of the term now, but surface text rather than a subtext. Yeah, like a well, literal. Yeah, yeah literal. Like, like, like without it being literal. And, and I think you've kind of answered that question in many ways, because what you're saying is for you in this, I completely understand it. It's in the writing, like you get that right. And suddenly there's freedom on set because the, yeah. the writing completely works. So when I, when I think about when I, when I have a snapshot in my mind of the film, what I see is how beautiful it was, how it made me feel. I said to my husband, it, you know, he watched it separately to me. And I said, it will make you have different conversations with yourself about your mother, about your wife. And I really loved that. But what I, what, I, um, what I was really interested in was those moments where, so I think, I think about how beautiful it is. I think about how, um, I think about uh, the space and, and, and the performances that the actors give. But I think about how you let the camera just hang, you and your DP just will like hang on a face. And, and it's so much about what isn't said as much as it is about what is said. There's so much being told, well, expressed to us between the lines. So, and I said to you when we were just having our pre-chat, you know, so many of us as directors don't get to go onto each other's sets and see how we each do it and we all do it differently. So I'm interested in kind of digging in with you to say, and, and to find out and to ask that space, how do you get to that with the actors? How does Maggie, personally get to a point where I think about that moment where Olivia and, and um, Dakota's characters meet, uh, or not meet, but really sort of have their first proper interaction after the little girl is found. And there's so much going on between them. And what were the conversations you were having with them? I'm just going to be super nosy and say, what were those conversations? Um, well, yeah. Um, that scene that you're talking about. Um, I mean, look, first of all, like you were saying that, that you as a director, even though you were an actress when you were very young, um, uh, as a child, you haven't, you haven't, you want to dig into the process of other directors because you haven't had much access to that. Me, on the other hand, I've been on tons of other directors, yeah. Yeah. even on the juice, like, you know, there was a new director every couple of weeks, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so I really have spent a lot of time with other directors mm-hmm. and I, I have a sense of what, what works in terms of creating that kind of space and life. Uh, it's rare in my experience as an actress to feel really free um, or else, you know, you have to just carve out your tiny space nudge up against the edges where you can be free and also try sometimes, you know, to let other actors know when they show up, Hey, you're, you can be free. It's hard to figure out how to do that sometimes as an actress, but one of the key things I think, um, because I've worked with directors who, um, were brutal. Yeah. And, and I hear a lot, I hear this a lot from actors and, and I'd be honest, mainly from actresses who, will tell me things that shock the living daylights out of me in terms of things that, that have been told to them. And I, I hear yeah. what you're saying. Just, 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 just brutal. And then I've also worked now and then with directors who were full of love and yeah. respect and curiosity about me as an artist, as a collaborator. 
And so I was pretty sure, and now I'm, I'm a hundred percent sure, um, that a huge part of my job, not just with the actors, but particularly with the actors, because I know how vulnerable it is, let alone in a fucking bathing suit. Okay. Um, how vulnerable it is. A huge part of my job was to hire people I was curious about and actually have respect for Mm -hmm. and then love them. And when actors feel, and and you can't fake it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and when actors feel not just loved, but that's the most important, but also seen like mm-hmm. I was looking at every 16th note of what was happening on my beautiful monitor. I, I was like, and I was fascinated by it. And, and, and you can tell, you can feel that. And, and then, and then the other trick is, I think it's not, not a trick, but um, step mm-hmm. is, is if you hire people and you can feel that somehow this part mixed with them that they will, uh, this is how I felt about parts for myself as an actress. This is why I say this. Mm-hmm. If they will have to grow in some way in mm-hmm. order to really play the part, not that you know for sure. I, I don't know how Olivia Coleman and Jesse and everybody needs to grow, Ed Harris, but you know, you have a little sense of people. I think maybe this part mixed with this person will mean they'll have to take a step in a very interesting direction yes. in order to do it. Then you're watching somebody actually learn something on screen mm-hmm, instead mm-hmm. of watching them pretend like they're learning something on screen. Right, right, right. And then, you know, for that scene, which I also love, I love that scene that you're talking about. And I find mm-hmm. it really compelling. Yeah. What can I share with you that we were talking about? I mean, for instance, Dakota was having a really interesting experience because she came on, signed on to this movie to express herself and to express herself in a way that I don't think she'd been allowed to express herself before. It was very explicit. Well, I don't know about explicit, but that was very clear to me. And then Mm -hmm. she spent the first five days, no, all the stuff at the beach was five days. So she spent the first four days being a gorgeous woman in a bathing suit, being served. And I think it was really difficult for her. I think she was like, chomping at the bit to get in and do yeah. something new. And so that was the first scene. She even opens her mouth. Oh. Um, and I, I, so with, with Dakota, I remember saying to her, so I mean, we said a lot of things, but the, I'll share these two things with you. They yeah. just yeah. make that scene so interesting. So first of all, we've set up these women watching each other. You know, we've shot that for a few days. We didn't shoot an order, but it did happen that we'd shot some of that work. Right. Um, And then to Dakota, I said, so, you know, you say to her the first time they're alone, really, I like your bathing suit. And I said, I mean, of course, that doesn't just mean I like your bathing suit. I said, it means, and she said, oh, I know what it means. She said, "Um, it means I love you. I was like, great. Then with Olivia, I just remember one thing I said to her that I really moved her and it was so beautiful to see her moved. Mm-hmm. Um, I said, you know, you know, when you're doing an emotional scene on a set and makeup comes and touches your face 
you know, to fix your makeup or something and your heart is already open Mm -hmm. and just somebody touching your face makes it like, you're almost just going to (laughs) cry. Keep your tears in. I said, when a cow touches your back like that, Uh, nobody's touched you in so long. And then I just, you watch, I use that take, you watch her like soften. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm so moved by that. So you're seeing, anyway, you're right. They say nothing to each other. They talk about this. But they say so much. Exactly. And that's exactly what I'm talking about in terms of the writing and then the mix of these parts with these actresses. Yeah. And then you're right. I linger on Dakota for so long because it has nothing to do with what she's saying. I stay on her past her lines and I hold on her because what she's expressing is taking longer to express than the lines. (laughs) We know. And, And so it's part of what I talk about when I talk about your voice and the the appearance of that voice new on our you know on our scenes where you, where everything takes as long as it takes and when i was mentioning that earlier that's one of the moments that i was talking about you get it a lot with ed harris as well i'm like i'm i'm feeling it with him too in those moments between him and him and olivia where it's just like you know what it's going to take as long as it takes to express what he wants to express in this moment what he doesn't understand what he does understand what he gets yeah. to this woman who's not trying to be anything other than she is I yeah. kind of I really I love all of that I think in translating that voice to your DP to your director of photography who just did such a tremendous job just did such a and also to, to an editor later later on down the line who you don't want cutting things after one and a half seconds what was that process because Obviously, again, you've worked with directors of photography in different ways. Um, probably with the juice, right? I imagine you were in the edit. You, you, you went, you visited the edit at times. I'm, it's, I know that it's quicker with TV, right? Just um, a little. I mean, just a little. There were yeah. times on the juice where I was just like, "Can I just come in the editing room? I can't write these essays anymore." <laughs> and, right. and, and, then, and then yes, but but rarely. But when I got time. into my editing room. I was like, I was literally like, I had won the lottery. I was like, whoa, I can do whatever I want. I don't have to write anything. I don't have to convince anyone. No spoons, sugar, just expression. I was like, I was like a kid in a candy store. I was so into the edit. I loved the edit. But then, but then as you, as you meet, as you meet your, your, your director of photography, you've obviously met other directors of photography and you settle on this one and does she get it from the get-go? Does she get from day one what it is, what it is you, what your voice is going to be, what your vocabulary is going to be in unfolding this story? Or is it something you're finding together? How, how, how is that relationship working? Because it's always unique. It, it's, and I think it's unique to the film as well. Yeah. You might work with the same DP on a, on a different film and the relationship is has evolved and it's changed slightly. So what was that relationship on this film? Um, I learned so much from my DP, Helen Louvart. She has five children. She's, um, I don't know how old she is, but maybe in her early sixties, she's so much experience and done so much work that I think is gorgeous. Um, there were two things that drew me to her initially. And I met with a lot of DPs because I had never been through that process before. And I, I, yeah. To learn about it. Yeah. Um, 
She was, she was really clear with me that she felt that prep gives way to freedom, which was exactly what happened with us. And I, and I, I, I learned how to prep with her. Um, But also I think it was very important to her to like put her ear to the ground and really listen to what I was hearing. And, you know, and so, yes, of course it was a collaboration and she offered so many interesting, I mean, she operates too. So her body, her breath, her mind is another character in the movie. Yes. But also she, she, it was valuable to her to part of her job. I think she thinks is to understand my mind and what Mm -hmm. it is I'm trying to say. In fact, we did an interview together the other day and she was reminding me, you know, cause I, I always think of it now as we kind of invite the audience into Leda's mind, into her unconscious mind. Yes. There's a thriller, whatever, uh, narrative. Um, but really that's not the way through the movie. That, that's mm-hmm. very simple. That's those mm-hmm. are, those are sort of scaffolding. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and really the way through the movie is through her mind. And so we mm-hmm. basically, we, we do things early on, for instance, we're shooting over her sort of side of her face onto Dakota. And we see that Dakota's 30 feet away. Then yeah. immediately we cut into so close on Dakota that you see droplets of water dripping down her neck. You see the details of the pen marks on the doll. She would never see that from 30 feet away. So what we're saying is, I think you better get inside her mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and yet Helen reminded me that a lot of the talking we did was actually, sometimes we're in my mind, that in some ways the those images of what's happening with the doll, what's happening with Dakota's skin. That's my mind. Definitely. Yeah. But I, funny, I think my mind and Leda's mind, Olivia's Leda are all mixed together. It feels like it. It feels like I'm, I'm on the journey of a combined uh, voice and I am, um, you know, Lena's emotions that you are, Lena's emotions that you're articulating through, through, through her. But, but somehow they, I can't even explain it. And that's why it's so visceral and that's why it's so distinct. But I get that. I, and that's why, I took, you know, the way I've related to it is that it's your voice as a filmmaker. You take us into this woman's gaze. You call it her mind. We see the world through her gaze, but yeah. you show us it. Right. And so it is kind of mine and how I'm, I mean, another thing I found, I don't know about you, but like, I, I was just thinking about this last night. So I wanted to shoot on film and they wouldn't, we didn't have the money. So we shot on digital, but in a way I'm really glad because first of all, I never like to cut. I don't care about how tall the wine is in the wine glass and nobody cares. But, but also I, I was I found it so interesting how, you know, watching something, just watching it versus watching it framed with the lens and a frame on a clamshell is an utterly different experience. It is. And, it and is. that's where my, that's where I, my mind, Helen's mind, 
that's where all of our minds are together creating storytelling. Right. It's if what's I, in the game, you know, that, and that's what makes you a filmmaker is because you, you, you know, the, the audience cannot see it without the frame. They can only see what you show us within the frame. The difference, like it becomes magic. Yeah. A particular lens on in a particular frame. Actually, just to say, I saw, so I was doing this thing with Helen and they were showing us stills and asking us questions about them. And one of them was that beautiful scene where, um, I, I won't give anything away just in case people haven't seen it, but um, uh, where there's that reveal about sort of what happened has happened with Olivia um, in the flea market. Mm-hmm. And tears in her eyes in the still and Dakota's hat is cutting off a piece of her face in our, yeah, yeah, and it yeah, is so yeah. gorgeous to me. Yeah. And, um, and we had had a, a Ronin operator, like a steady cam operator yeah, that, yeah. you know, we had hired for a few days and because, and also you're asking like how to create this freedom. I never, I did that scene, which was much longer, actually start to finish every time. You can't expect Olivia to get to that place or to yes. to this place without doing the scene. I mean, that's right. just ridiculous. Right. And there's no reason. So you can set up your workflow so that yeah. that's possible. So anyway, we, we were doing it all the way through every time, this like five minute long scene. And so Helen wanted a steady cam operator. So we have him and we're doing the scene and I'm like, it's not working. I, I don't, I don't like it. It feels like TV. And um, I mean, there's amazing TV. It feels like bad TV. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and she, and then I was like, Helen, I think you have to shoot it. She says, no, no, it would look like an elephant. It would be. And I said, no, you, you have to shoot it. And then she shoots it and she frames like that. And I'm like, that's, that is right. talking about. That is what it looks like. Even if right. you're Dakota, so you're not seeing the back of her hat. You're seeing the front of her hat. Yeah, it still feels yeah. like that. And then, yeah. then you're in it. Then you're in the story. So I don't know. I don't know. I forgot what we were talking about, but <laughs> I, I look at the time and I can't believe it. And my and my iPad decides to start falling. But we've we've we. I can see that we've got ten minutes left, and I promised that I would leave time for um, the audience to ask questions. Okay. So can I just ask one quick question before? And um, we go to audience this questions because I really I'm desperate to hear the answer to this one, which is you you have referenced uh, the idea of trying to create a script that you could offer to an actor um, and one where they could see they could find growth in themselves as the actor playing the character. And so I'm really interested in hearing from you from that place and from that point of view how you grew, how you have grown um, through directing this piece of work, whether it be had been, might have been your third piece or it might have been your first, but you chose this piece of work to do and how has it grown you? I mean, I think I'm too close to it to know. I feel like a different person. I feel like I shed a skin and I'm like a butterfly. <laughs> I, feel like, <laughs> I feel like a different, I feel like, make that let their I'm like totally different I don't know what to say right. <laughs> I don't know exactly what I've learned I've learned a hundred thousand things about everything make me cry I feel like about <laughs> gratitude about collaboration about love about about putting down things you don't need to carry around anymore right. um uh I mean 
I was so grateful. I, I'm like, I keep buying gifts for all these people in my life. I go, I, you know, I've, I've bought like 10 Christmas presents for my husband because I'm so grateful to, to his, his support of me. I mean, uh, I, I don't even know what to say. I'm like, I, I, I'm so glad it's like, I jumped over into like where I was supposed to be standing or something. I feel, feel totally different. <laughs> I understand that. I, I, I get that. And I understand it. I mean, I, I, I always know when, when I start a film that I'm going to be different by the time I get to the end of the entire process. That's the process of making it and then putting it out there to have its own conversation with the audience. I know that that whole okay. process is going to... But my film hasn't even come out yet. That's the crazy thing. Oh, the, the, you're still on that journey and it's, 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 it's not over. You know, you're still on that journey and there's a, a long period left of it as, it as it does start the conversation with, with an audience, which I think is just fabulous. I'm going to look at my phone. Forgive me for looking down. I know that this is how, and I'm going to have to put my own. As you're looking, I'm just going to add one more thing that I've really yeah, do. learned. There's a few other women in this sort of who have films coming out at the same time that I keep running into. Yeah. I like Sean Hader and of course, Jane Campion and Rebecca Hall. And I, I, I feel this kind of sisterhood. uh, Yeah, I get it. That I'm really grateful for. I'm sure you do. Like I, 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 I'm, uh, uh, or even Olivia Wilde, she interviewed me last night, another actress who moved into directing so excellently. And I, I'm really into that. I'm like, yeah. Oh, That's or the- Emerald Fennel. She did an interview. With her. Um, She's amazing. Right. So generous, so loving, so insightful. So, and, um, Phoebe Waller bridge was at that screening. I was like this, I want to, just be a sisterhood with all these women. It, it's a sort of an, a kind of extension to your community because I know, you know, you know, previously that world has been about actors and yes, you've known directors, but now you are a part of this directing community and 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 there are so many women in it who are doing amazing things now, which is just I, I just think it's wonderful. I'm going to read this verbatim so I don't get it wrong, but Sammy asked. Uh, she says, I'd love to know about Maggie's editing process. The way she interlays some of her scenes, the octopus dinner, for example, was really bold and intriguing. Was that a fluid approach to cutting? Oh, sorry. Was that fluid approach to cutting always the intention or did that route emerge over the great movie, by the way? Loved it. Uh, so over time. I know I'm just looking at the time and just to say, I'm like running to the airport. So I'm going to answer it quickly. We've got, we've got that one question. I'm going to answer it quickly because I, first of all, I loved the editing process. And um, that is a very interesting scene to pick up on because um, that scene was actually two scenes. They were some of my favorite written, like some of the scenes I was the most proud of the writing in. Um, they were excellently acted by Ed Harris and Olivia Coleman. And I thought beautifully shot. And um, yeah, we put it together in the way that we put together uh, everything up until then, which is like two thirds of the movie, you know, trying to make it lift off. And it was just boring. It was so weird. I was like, all the elements of this are really good. I really feel they are, but um, 
sorry, they're ringing my doorbell for it to get my bags. So, but, but, um, but somehow it was boring. And my editor who uh, really is a brilliant, wonderful editor, he had been sort of schooling me without even meaning to mentioning this film, mentioning that film that I hadn't seen. He was like, oh, the tone of this is kind of like the tenant, the Polanski movie or um, Kirstami. And, uh, and I'd been watching all these movies at night and he had mentioned don't look now. And um, I had seen that movie, but not in a long time. And he mentioned it because, you know, you, you, if you think about it, it's like a thriller and a little bit horror movie, but mm-hmm. also French movie. It's like, it's like our movie and a little bit. Yeah. And, and when we were struggling to figure out why this, these two scenes weren't working, which should have worked. Um, I, I said, why don't we cut them like the sex scene and don't look now so that they're, you know, in the sex scene, they're, making love and getting dressed at the same intercutting it. And Fonzie, my editor was like, okay, give me half an hour. And mostly I sat with him every moment of the editing process, but I was like, all right, I'm going for a walk. I came back in a half an hour and he'd intercut it, the cooking of the octopus and the eating of the octopus. And it, it lifted, you know, and it, it, and it kept its mystery and its interest and it's, um, and I like, I love the stuff about how old she is and how she makes him say every number. So here we're moving, we're shifting <laughs> yes. like kind of a waltz, I think in the music. And, and then we stop and she just says, you know, no, not 42. <laughs> I love it. Sammy, that was, that is a great question, uh, by the way, because it, I, I love that it got you to give a real life example. I love these these examples of how it actually worked for you. And that's such a great one. And it's um, that whole thing of your editor telling you to go away for a walk and never leaving them. And then you come back. I recognize it so well. Um, Maggie, I swear I'm not just saying this. I mean this sincerely. I could talk for another hour or more. I agree. I know. They're like ringing my doorbell to get my suitcase right now. (laughs) I am so sorry. Like, I honestly could listen to this for four more hours but I know you really need to go so I will just say thank you to you both I'm going to the airport thank you guys so much this was lovely thank you thank Thank you you so much this podcast was recorded at a Directors UK member event you can hear more episodes of the Directors UK podcast on iTunes SoundCloud Spotify or your favourite podcatcher Directors UK is a professional association for film and TV directors with over 7,500 members Find out more about us at directors.uk.com.